this, today, we are starting a new sermon series on family. So for the next couple of weeks, we are family. I wish I could sing it better than that. Right. So I'll start by sharing a story, personal story, and it's a true story. I'm one of the very privileged few guys on earth. I have been a member of seven families today. Seven. Six of, six of them I had, six of them I had no choice, but the seventh one is a family by choice. So my sermon today is going to be sort of like most, mostly about the cho- choosing a family, which is a chosen family, with a family of your own choice. Some of you who are millennials like me, might remember this. Are You My Mother is a children's book by P.D. Eastman, published by Random House Books for Young Readers on June 12, 1960. As part of its uh, beginner series, based on a 2007 uh, online poll, the National Education Association named the book one of its top 100 books for children. It was one of the top 100 picture books of all times in 2012 by School uh, Library Journal. Does that sound a bit familiar to to any one of us? Who read the book? Ah, great. Thank you. So this is not a, a very strange story. So let me just recap what the story is all about. Are You My Mother is the story about a hatchling bird. His mother thinking her egg will stay in her nest when she left it, she left it where she left it, leaves her egg alone as she flies off to find some food. The baby hatches while she's away. And the baby bird does not understand where his mother is and goes to look for her. As he lacks the ability to fly, he walks. And in search, asks a kitten. For those who can imagine, you can imagine the relationship between a a bird, a small bird, and a kitten. That's That's dangerous, at least where I come from. She also meets a hen, also, he also meets a hen, a dog, and a cow and asks them if they are his mother. But none of them are. Refusing to give up, he sees an old car. Old car. Which he realizes, definitely, this can't be my mother. Now, In desperation, the hatchling eggs calls out to a boat and an aeroplane. Are you my mother? 
Now, at last, the hatchling bird climbs onto the teeth of an enormous power shovel, and it belches. From its exhaust stack, prompting the bird to cry, you are not my mother. You are a snot. As the machine shudders and grinds into motion, he cannot escape. And he shouts, I want my mother. At that moment, the snot drops the hatchling bird into its nest. And the mother returns. The next is a story of the two when they are reunited, much to their delight, and the baby bird recounts to his mother the adventures he had while he was looking for her. I find this story telling the universal truth that right from birth, we all are looking for a place of comfort and relationship. We see evidence of this when the, baby, when the babies are born, they begin rooting for the mother's nipples. It is through our instincts that we seek connection and nourishment from a family. Throughout the week, as I lived in the process of preparing my sermon, the story, Are You My Mother?, kept nudging my spirit. I kept hearing a soft but powerful message to me and probably to my church. What if we reimagine our UVC Wicker Park Church as a family? A chosen family. A family not technically related by familial ties, but a group of people banded together because of a shared life or a shared commitment to provide a space of home and community. Let me just run through the seven families I have been part of. My mother, my parents divorced while I was too young to remember anything. So the first person who came to my rescue was my maternal grandmother. She looked after me for about two years. I'm not very sure whether she was fed up of me or she had to, but she passed me on to my paternal grandmother. My paternal grandmother looked after me for about maybe seven years or some, somewhere there. And again, that time I could, I could see what was happening. That was the period when Zimbabwe had a very fierce war of liberation. I went out of school and I was living in the rural areas. So somewhere in the urban in the city, my aunt remembered that there is a child in the rural areas who is not going to school because of the war. And she called for me. I had to transfer from my paternal, paternal grandmother to my aunt in the city. She invited me to join her family. She only had one son with my uncle. And in Zimbabwe, and probably in Africa as a whole, a large family is a source of pride. If you can only have one child, you are sort of like a laughing stock from the neighbors and everybody else who knows you. 
Africa believes in large families, and they are a source of pride. So my aunt had an opportunity in me to join the family to make it a bit larger. And that was a blessing to me as well, because that was going to make me go back to school. So I stayed with my aunt, my, uh, my aunt and my uncle, ever since I was, I mean, from third grade, right until I finished my high school, right until I started working, and I still, until I married. I was part of that family. But then behind the scenes, there was my mother. She's still alive. I'm still part of that family. I'm still part of her family. There is my stepmother. I'm still part of that family. And again, after that, when I married in 1993, I got into this other family, a new family. My, 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 my mother-in-law was a lovely mother. May her soul rest in peace. Those are six families. I also chose to be a member of the church in which I grew up. And there I encountered a lot of love. And that was to be my seventh family. Now, the text we read today from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, invites us to reflect on the ideal definition of a perfect family. Sarah and Abraham were far from the ideals of a perfect family. They were mature in age and preparing to raise a child. They have a history of abuse and cruelty towards others, Hagar in, in, in particular, out of their desperation or their desperate need to grow a family. Although they are promised by God, by God's covenant, with them to experience, a um, to have a, a generation of children, Abraham and Sarah doubt their ability and God's possibility to form a community of familial relations. Despite their flaws, Abraham and Sarah practice hospitality to God in their family by welcoming strangers. A question for imagining is, what does it mean to be a hospitable family to God? Stories before Abraham's hospitality to the divine visitors are important pieces of that great family history. I would like to invite you to go back to Genesis chapter 16 from verses 1 to 16, where Sarah encourages Abraham to rape Hagar and give birth to a son by his slave. After Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah begins to beat Hagar for looking at her with contempt. Hagar flees to the desert, and God encounters her there. In that forest, Hagar speaks with God in the desert and names God El Roy. El Roy is a Hebrew word meaning God sees. In that desperate situation, Hagar names God El Roy. What does it imply even to us today? Wherever, whatever desert you could be in your life, God sees. We are never far away from God's sight. God sees. Whatever you, the situation you could be in, whatever situation I could be in, God sees. 
in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 27, we also see God establishing a covenant with Abram and, uh, and uh, Sarah and promises to grow Abram's family for generations. Abram and his family are to, be, are to set themselves apart by practicing circumcision. It is in this chapter God promises that within a year, Sarah will give birth to, to a son and they will name the son Isaac. But at that stage, Abraham is 99 years old, probably as old as I am. <laughs> in this story, I discern a couple embroiled in desperation, hostility, and abuse, and probably doubting God's commitment to fulfilling promises. Actually, we rarely hear of this couple having a cordial conversation between them. The only times we hear them talking to, to is when Abraham is issuing instructions to Sarah. I try to go through the book of Genesis, trying to find out where exactly do we hear Abraham talking to his wife or Sarah talking to, his, to her husband. With Abraham, I managed to find that there are three recorded incidences where, she talk, where he talks to his wife. In Genesis chapter 12, verse, 7, verse 13, that's the first time I hear Abraham talking to Sarah. And the instruction, as they were, in, in, uh, they were traveling, he goes to Sarah and says, when these Egyptians ask you, you should tell them you're my sister. That's number one. Number two is when Sarah, when Sarah complains about Hagar. Abraham says to Sarah, your maid Hagar is in your hands. You do what pleases you. That's number two. That's Genesis chapter 16, verse 5. And then the third and final time I hear Abraham speaking to Sarah is when, she, when he runs into the tent. After these guys, the angels had appeared before him, whether they were angels or human beings, he runs into the tent and tells Sarah, prepare some cakes for these guys. Those are the only three times I hear Abraham speaking to Sarah. Whereas Abraham is known as a great man of faith. But at the same time, there seems to be some turmoil within this family. When I was trying to find out and reason, what could be the reason why Abraham, we don't hear him talking intimately to his wife. What dawned to me was there must have been a problem in the family. And the source of the family, the source of the problem was they didn't have kids. There were no children. To Abraham and Sarah, it was not enough to be there as husband and wife. They needed someone to, for it to be a family. They needed a child. I also hear Sarah talking to, to, his husband, to her husband only twice. The first time I hear Sarah talking to Abraham was in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, when she complains, I mean, when she, 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 when she advises Abraham, please go into my servant Hagar. Perhaps I shall obtain children. And then the next time I hear her talking to Abraham, is when Hagar is now pregnant. And 
she goes to Abraham and complains. What wrong have I done to you? I'm now despised by Hagar through her eyes. She's looking at me with despise. Actually, Abraham talks more to God than to his own wife. Does that sound familiar? Well, maybe somewhere, somehow, you know of a guy who talks to God more than he talks to his wife. He goes to church so often, so much in love with praying and setting aside times to pray, but he doesn't set time to talk to the very person he or she, he or she lives with. There are so many ways in which the world today is reliving Abraham and Sarah's experiences. One great theologian, Bonhoeffer, once remarked, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian community in which we have been placed, even when there are no great experiences, no noticeable riches, but much weakness, difficulty, and little faith, and if, on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so miserable and so insignificant and does not at all live up to our expectations, then we hinder God from letting our community grow according to the measure and riches that are there for us all in Jesus Christ. In response to that, Kelvin Reigns, a pastor in the Vineyard Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, commented, I can only imagine if this advice was heeded by even a fraction of a local church, the effects could be revolutionary. How many times, how many times have I wished I, I were somewhere else where God was really Moving. How many times have I longed to be in a more beautiful place with mountains or an ocean and abandoned the urban neighborhood where I live? How many times have I fantasized about the perfect fellowship where everyone got along like a perfect family? Society places a lot of pressure on us on how it shapes and defines what an ideal family is or should be. Some of us have great expectations of what a family should be or could be. It, sometimes presume, it is sometimes presumed good families don't fight. They never, ever annoy each other and love doing puzzles together. It is also presumed that Christian families pray together before every meal and bedtime every night, only watch wholesome movies and TV shows, avoiding anything with gratuitous sex and violence and so forth. It is also presumed that perfect church families always agree what kind of bread is best at the table and who to hire what songs to sing, and how to spend money together, right? These are 
unusually high expectations of family, and it is no wonder that no matter what kind of family you come from, do or do not associate with, you might be disappointed by your family or your involvement in community. The mythical idea of a perfect family can leave us miserable, constantly seeking something beyond the current realities of our relationship with others. The story which we read today of angelic visitors, or what we call in theology, theophany, explains how God interacted with human beings in a bodily form. There is a history of theophany, or divine self-revelation of God, revealing God's self to humans. Unlike previous theophanies, this one is not accompanied by an act of worship or building of an altar. The hospitality to strangers itself becomes an act of worship to God. Do we realize the similarities between this story and the story of Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus where he meets Cleopas and his friend in Luke chapter 24? When God appears among God's people in whatever form or human, human or angelic form, there is normally an invitation to be more reflective and observant, to open our eyes and see. Abraham and Sarah's long-awaited promise was fulfilled after welcoming the strangers, passers-by, into their family. Cleopas and his friend welcomed Jesus into their family, and that's when their eyes were opened. We may need to look at our families and our family settings through clearer lenses. So the story, in essence, is an invitation for us to really observe what could be wrong and how can it be corrected. The Bible teaches us that Christ unites us all in faith as a family, that is, children of God. In Christ, we are all welcome at the table. When our eyes are finally opened and we recognize God, Christ's presence amongst us, like Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, we get to see things much clearer. We see the different forms in which families are formed as God's way of meeting our needs for family and companionship. The world in which we live now helps us to define family differently. The frustration which Sarah and Abraham could have been, go could have been going through was because of the absence of children or of a child or children. But when we read Genesis chapter 18, that's when we realized their life was transformed. When they realized that inviting these strangers into their home and becoming part of their family can actually bring in happiness into their lives as well. So, the world in which we live now helps us to define family differently. If we look carefully, we realize that we have biological families, we have foster families, we have adopted families, we have families who use fertility support to assist in growing their families, all of which are 
relevant, bold, and inclusive. And we can also choose a setting like this one to be your chosen family. There is no need to be desperate, frustrated, and probably turning out to be abusive. You can have a choice to have a family. And I'm so happy and excited that I'm a, family, I'm a member of this big family. So, we also have chosen families which are settings like this one, which are not technically, technically they are not related by familial ties, but a group of people banded together because of a shared community to provide a space of home and community. And one such type of family setting is a church. I could take a long day just describing how the church has been a family to me ever since I became one. And I'm so glad that when I came to Chicago, I got to be a member of this large UVC family where I really feel at home. I miss you guys throughout the whole week when we are not together. I enjoy the company, your company. When I see your faces and you smile at each other, giving each other a hug, a big hug, you're actually coming in to fill that gap which I never had when I grew up. All the other family settings I was in were not by choice. I would not want to concentrate on what I missed in, those, in that family setting, but I would like to, com to, to really share with you what I really got when I became a member of this large family, the church. In the story, Are You My Mother? The baby bird tumbles around looking for the mother and searching for among other creatures and, man, uh, and inanimate objects. At some point, the bird asks, do I have a mother? I'm quite sure, even amongst us today, there are some people who are asking, do I have a mother? Do I have a family? We all need a place of comfort and relationship. We all seek connection and nourishment from a family setting. We each have a choice to belong to a family. And today, I invite you to place yourself and choose to be a member of this family called church. There you will, and I assure you, you will flourish. Thanks be to God.